Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mindset to Mastery, the podcast. I am your host, Keisha A. Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the CARS Group, where we facilitate outcomes by equipping people to embrace and manage change. And on the Mindset to Mastery podcast, we talk about ways that you can change your mindset to master your success. And I have these awesome guests that I get to have conversations with. Um, and bring you all of these great tips and strategies and actionable items that are going to help you in order to create the success that you can envision. And today is no exception. I am joined by, um, I guess we, we call ourselves sisters from another mother. <laughs> uh, uh, Dr. Shalini Nag, who is joining me, and she is an amazing, we connected on so many fronts. Thank you for joining me, Shalini. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And we're talking about connecting. So I think our example is a really cool one. Yeah. So today's show, we are going to be talking about building connections without being face to face. So how are we supposed to build connections in this remote world? And I thought it was it was Shalini and I thought it was a great topic because she and I connected virtually. Um, we were both panelists, um, speakers on the new diversity summit. Um, that launched initially in April of this year and is going to be rebroadcast in the summer. And we set up a time to just talk um, via LinkedIn and it has turned into this whole new collaborative thing where, you know, we're sharing best practices and we're talking about, you know, we're talking shop with what we do. And, and so we thought it would be great to actually come on and talk about how you can look at building connections remotely, especially because in this quote unquote new normal of COVID-19 and workplaces now going to work from home and people having to do more with remote work, um, I think a lot of people are questioning, how am I supposed to build any type of relationships with people if I'm not there face to face? And so Shalini is someone that studies this and she does this. And so I thought this would be great for us to share some insights with my listeners. <laughs> so first of all, um, I know you do a lot of work when it comes to building community and with having people-centered organizations. And so when we're talking about this whole notion of building connections and building community, does it really matter if you're in front of someone or if you're doing it by phone or by text or by email or by video conference? You know, aren't there certain um, nuances or building blocks to building connections that we should all look for? Absolutely. So there are commonalities in how we actually build connection, right? And how we build trust. Part of connection is really trusting another person enough mm -hmm. that you can be authentic with them and give them the room to be authentic and genuine with you. The difference between the mode by which you connect is really about the process, not about the destination, right? Mm -hmm. It's the path that changes, the mode, the medium that changes. Mm -hmm. But the destination is still building trust. And the big thing uh, that happens, and what I've been hearing a lot of right now, because people are suddenly jettisoned into this new environment where previously they were used to the face-to-face, is actually the mix-up between our perception of how we build trust versus the building blocks of actually doing so. Mm -hmm. um, and 
to explain it a little bit better, like think about how our brain works. When we do something frequently enough, you know, to ease the burden on our brains, we create these scripts, habits, right? Mm-hmm. And, when, and it's almost like when we commute or we drive, you don't really think about, okay, I'm going to turn on the blinker now and then I'm going to turn on the wiper right. now on right you see a turn you turn on the blinker and then you turn you you just do it automatically it's almost scripted you don't have to think about it you think back to when you were learning how to drive you were actually thinking oh my goodness there's a turn coming i now need to use my left blinker (laughs) and then i need to check this and then i need to check that and then i'm going to uh, make my turn but now you can probably drive from work to home or home to work or to the grocery store without even thinking you're preparing a presentation in your mind mm-hmm. and suddenly you're at your destination. And so what happens with the building connections face-to-face is we have created that script that the way I build connection is to meet someone face-to-face. I walk up to their table and we have this conversation about the weather or about coffee or about what they did last evening. And then we talk about work, right? And so there's a script that we have created. But what really drives connection, what really drives trust, and this is what we did in our uh, conversation, was we went in with the assumption that here is someone that I can potentially work with, that I would like to get to know, that I would want to be myself with. Mm -hmm. So we began by sharing of ourselves with each other, even though it was on the phone. Mm -hmm. And we came, we shared about, you know, our challenges with the situation, including our hair situations and our work situations and how our businesses were going. And that was what built the, the um, connection, the conversation that we had, the assumption of trust, the willingness to trust that if we are authentic with each other, we will not be judged for it. Mm-hmm. We will be accepted for who we are. And by having the confidence in ourselves and not judging ourselves for whatever it is we were going through, right? that opened the doors. So I think that's the big difference in terms of thinking about the process. We think about how we do something as being the steps, but that's the perception. And the actual building blocks are really having that integrity coming, showing up authentically doing what you say you will do, right? that's what maintains the trust and builds the next level of the relationship. Yeah. And you know, and it's interesting because you talk about building trust and being authentic and, and having this script or assumptions in, our, in your mind about you know, what this is going to look like and what I need to do. And I find it interesting because I kept telling people, we have a lot, there's been a lot of discussion in, in the DE&I space, you know, um, diversity, equity, and, and inclusion about wanting and creating this atmosphere where people can show up fully and wholly and authentically as their whole selves. Well, with COVID-19 and so much of the workforce going to remote or work from home, you have no choice but to show up as your whole self because you're at home right smack in the middle of life and what's going on. And so it, it really, it really sheds light on your working environment, your culture for your organization. If you guys haven't built up this foundation of trust where I can be vulnerable, I can be myself, I can, you know, talk about what's going on with me and trust that I'm not going to be judged for it then it's a lot more difficult to set up that type of culture and environment when you're forced into a work from home setting where now 
I can't hide the fact that I've got kids and pets and, you know, and a spouse that's here that's working right across from me. And, you know, and the fact that people are walking in and out and I don't have a quiet moment. And, and so we have a great opportunity, I think, to really redefine what it means to connect in our world of work as well as in our world personally. I agree completely with you. You know, the, the, you like to say that change is triggered by an event. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic has been a trigger that has actually increased the rate of change in some directions, but the trends have already been there, right? The blurring of work and life started several decades ago, especially when digital technologies became so um, widespread and so uh, easily accessible that we are always on and always connected. The line started blurring at that point. Now, some uh, organizations have retained the older culture of you know, separating life and work. And for them, this is a huge trigger mm -hmm. to actually build those connections, a trigger and an opportunity to the point you were making to build those authentic connections now to create that safe environment for people to show up 100% mm -hmm. and not just bring their work self to work and leave their personal creativity or their personal desire to help the community or whatever other activities that they bring, their positive selves that they leave at home no longer needs to be left behind because home and work are becoming the same. Right. That said, I think some of the ways in which a leader or a manager can induce that change is to be the first one to take that step towards being vulnerable, towards being more authentic and sharing a little bit. Because um, there are some cultures, you may have come into this environment from a culture where you, it wasn't the norm to talk about life. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew what your home life was like. And now when you ask your people, hey, what exactly are the challenges you're facing? Nobody feels comfortable sharing. Right. They don't feel comfortable sharing because they don't know that it is acceptable to share. And it's not something that they would feel comfortable doing on their own, especially given that the power dynamic in a manager-employee mm -hmm. situation is in your favor. So as a manager, as a leader, it almost falls to us to ask, uh, not so much to ask the question, but actually to start by trusting them and by sharing where we are facing challenges mm -hmm. and ask them for their help to resolve those, right? So now what you're doing is you're creating a group of uh, people who are trying to work together to resolve a problem. And that opens up avenues for them to share what challenges they have knowing that they have a support system in place. Now, and you just, that one premise, and, and it doesn't just apply to, you know, the work from home, you know, dynamic, it, it applies overall. And I have, um, there's a part, there's a, an approach I talk to, about, talk about called leading from within. And it's about not just having this top down hierarchical view of, okay, the manager, the supervisor, the executive, they are the perfect ones and I can't show, you know, never, never let them see you sweat type of thing. Um, but having this collective um, trust and this collective learning community where we're all in this together, we're all working together to try to support each other in this. And hey, I have this issue, you know, what do you think about helping me to solve it? Where it's not looked at as something that's going to make you seem less than. And, and I, I think that we have to get past this point of feeling like 
if I'm showing frustration or if I'm saying that I'm having difficulty with this, or if I let people know that, hey, in my household, I have my parents, I have my kids, I have my spouse, I have my pets, you know, there's a number of different things that are going on in my life that you don't see when I just come to the office and I leave it there. Um, you know, but if you're, in, if I'm working from home and I'm working remotely, you're invited into my world. And for some people, that's a good thing. And for others, they're like, yo, boundaries, stay back. <laughs> I don't want you involved in this. So when you look at the dynamic, because I had a conversation with um, a colleague of mine and he was saying that their company was one of those places where they would never have considered remote work at all. But because of COVID-19, they had to do a hard pivot and 70% of their workforce now had to be work from home. The company was like, oh, this is great. We're, sa we're saving money. People were more productive. Things were going on. And they're like, we want to make this permanent. But now they're faced with some employees who are, are, are just like I talked about. I, I can't work at home. There's too many people. There's too much space. I don't want people in my home life like that. I go to work to get away from this stuff. I don't want to bring this in. And, and so it came, it, it was a discussion then that we had. And I told him, I said, what's equitable is not always equal. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And the fun part of this or the intriguing part about resolving this new shift that's coming up, the shift that we've already gone through and the shift that will come when you know, things settle down a little bit more as far as the pandemic is concerned, is the fact that diversity is now showing up very differently from how it was viewed before. Mm -hmm. You'd mentioned diversity and inclusion before. And diversity, the best part of it is as long as there are two people, there is going to be diversity. And if those two people are siblings that went to two different colleges, there's going to be diversity. Mm -hmm because their personalities are different, there's going to be diversity, even if they're growing up in the same home with the same parents. And so now the COVID-19 is actually highlighting diversity in what previously would have been considered in groups, right? Yeah. People look alike, maybe from the same neighborhood, but they may have those differences where somebody's taking care of three kids at home or somebody's taking care of an older parent. Mm -hmm. Somebody else might be married and somebody else might be single and feeling really isolated right now and desperate to get back to a workplace. And so diversity, I think, is showing up in very different ways. And it is emphasizing the need for appreciative inquiry, mm -hmm. right? The need to let go of assumptions around what we think we know or how competent we can become in understanding our people and switching instead to a sense of humility where we know everybody is different but we don't know how each person is different. Right. And, and that is the key because we assume we know when we really don't. And it's, do it's like you said at the beginning, we have these preconceived notions and this script that we create in our head about how, oh, she's this or she's from this group or she's from this background or she has a PhD behind her name. So I know what her life is like. No, you don't. <laughs> you have no clue. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's the, it's the greatest thing about both, well, all three of the prototype, the first person you meet of a particular kind, mm -hmm. you start creating your script then. Then you hear about the stereotypes and you say, oh, that script must be correct. 
And then there is the people who are studying all of this and they create the archetypes, right? Because they have enough of a sample set. Mm-hmm. The issue is that the, no individual is the full prototype, stereotype, or the archetype. There are elements of those which we use to educate ourselves to understand maybe broadly what may or may not be acceptable. But the only person who can really tell you what works for them is that individual. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and I think that's key in that we have to recognize that we need to give people a space, space to actually use their voice, um, not to empower them. I hate when people talk about empowering somebody. You can't give me power. I already have my power. I just have to recognize it and act on it. Um, but to really allow people to use their voice in a way that is authentic to them. And when, you know, I, always, I talk a lot about thinking more diversely about diversity, because when you and I first met and we had our conversations and we were talking about our hair woes and we're like, yo, we are not okay. And it is only a couple of weeks into this thing. and We don't do our own hair, but you know, I'm African-American and you're Indian. I would have never even considered that you were having hair issues. Because, you know, the, the stereotype is that black women are always the ones that have issues with their hair and everybody else, oh, you're good. Um, but it's this whole thing of being open to having a conversation. And if we just treat everybody as the individual that they are and allow them to inform our information forming and perceptions and all that, don't come into it and yeah, we're human. And we go, we always try to connect the dots in order to learn. But instead of filling in the whole puzzle, why don't we go in and say, hey, how are you? What's going on? How are you dealing with this? What, you know, how is this with your life? And not automatically filling in blanks for people, but allowing our conversation and our dialogue and really listening to the other person. Because that was, that was something that we talked about also about how you're talking to somebody and they're not listening to a word you're saying. They're just thinking about, oh, she stopped talking so I can jump in now. Indeed. Indeed. And this is why I really like the, how, the science of appreciative inquiry. So appreciative inquiry is how to build a conversation that actually delivers value. Mm-hmm. Appreciative, by definition, it's on the dimension of appreciative to depreciative. By, by definition, it's about adding value either to the person or to the situation or to the organization or the problem at hand that you're trying to resolve. Depreciation is undervalued, right? So the way it would show up is appreciative is when you're identifying somebody's strengths, when you're thinking about sharing ideas, when you're augmenting with yes and. Mm-hmm. All of those are appreciative. And depreciative, you know, pointing fingers, blaming, hogging the floor, right? Waiting to figure out when can you jump in Mm -hmm. instead of actually listening, absorbing, and then figuring out how can you add value. That's depreciative. And inquiry versus statement-based, right? That's the other dimension. Now questions, inquiry obviously is question-based conversation. And that is constructive and appreciative when you come from a place of curiosity. That's why we connected. Mm-hmm. Because we came to the conversation with, oh, I want to get to know this person. I want to find out how we might learn from each other, how we may possibly work with each other. Whereas if you come into, and 
Whereas if you come into the questions from a state, when you come into it from a depreciative perspective, it would be things like, oh, why didn't you get that work done? Why didn't that get done on time? And switching that around, right? If you are, especially if you're in a team, if you're in an organization, especially now when you have no idea what people's challenges are, instead of asking, why isn't this done yet? Or even assuming that you know what the answer is and saying, what can I do to help you get this done? What if you asked, what needs to change so you can get this done on an agreed upon time? Mm -hmm. Now you're actually broadening the scope beyond your own assumptions, beyond your theories of what might have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And you're allowing this other person to tell you what needs to change. And it could just be that your timeline was unrealistic. Right. And, and as, as a manager, you'd never think of that being an option. But what? my timeline, unrealistic? Nah, not ever. <laughs> I'm here alone with my cats. I'm good. You should have all the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that it, it's it. And I did. I love that you you brought up the whole um, appreciative inquiry because I am huge on asking the right questions. And I always tell people whenever you say why you're automatically putting people on the defensive because they're thinking, because, you know, if you're a smart butt, like I was as a kid, you ask me why. And I say, because that's an answer always. But if you ask me, what is it about this situation or how can this be adjusted or what is it that needs to change? It shifts the focus from me, you know, feeling attacked or feeling as if I have to defend myself to now looking at the situation, which takes it outside of me feeling blame, which I think is, is the crux of this whole point of conversation and connection is that we have to start building these relationships that go beyond pointing the finger, stigmatizing, stereotyping, and, and pigeonholing people. Whereas we have this opportunity now to really open it up to building a greater sense of understanding. Um, and that's where building remote relationships and building remote communities actually is, is, is so profound because we have the opportunity to do this in a way that works across cultures. It works across geographic locations. It works across systems. It works across, you know, status or title or whatever your work responsibilities are. And just imagine the possibilities of what, our world would look like if we were to start leading with appreciative inquiry, if we started leading with building trust, if we started leading with, I really am interested in getting to know you, not just I'm interested in finding and in, in validating my preconceived notions about you. Completely different approach. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And it's funny because it doesn't just apply to building remote relationships or remote work environments. Your work environment can shift and change. There can be pandemics or crises or individual personal crises, organizational crises. As we shift and change, if we lead, like you said, with appreciative inquiry, with building trust, with genuine interest and curiosity, you can create that kind of connection, no matter whether it's a, you know, on-site team, a hybrid team, a remote team, and no matter how the workplace looks. Yeah, and, and this, is, this is great. What I love so much about having these types of conversations is it allows people to go deeper into the topic 
and really start thinking about things differently um, and, and having some examples of what it looks like. And then having someone like you that they can contact to be able to help guide them through the process. And we are almost at the end of our 30 minutes already. Um, I'm going to have to have you come back. I already know. But tell them um, how, you know, what is it you have going on right now, um, how they can get in touch with you, and, you know, in what ways that you would be willing to and available to work with them and their organizations. Absolutely. Happy to do that. So the easiest way to find me is use my name, find me on LinkedIn, uh, connect with me. Uh, my email address is my first name, shalini.nag at evidasolve.com, where Evidasolve is my company. And it stands for evidence-based solutions to make it easier for people to remember. <laughs> I am available to help small and medium businesses define their people's strategy, how they can create a workplace culture that is aligned with their business, but also thinking about it strictly in order to ensure that you're having all of your interventions in the right direction aligned with each other rather than putting in ad hoc point solutions that may ease a particular problem temporarily but doesn't really look at how it scales with your business. And uh, apart from that, I do help with uh, creative solutioning workshops with appreciative inquiry based conversation building and I'm available to speak more about all of these with the interested folks. Awesome. Well, I know that now with everything that's going on with COVID-19 and how organizations are having to navigate um, the, the shifts and the changes and trying to create a new normal, I would encourage you to reach out to Shalini because now, you know, before it was, well, we, we've always done it this way or we don't have the time to just shut everything down and retool and, and rethink this. Now, Every, you were forced to shut down and to re-examine the way that you do business and the way that your organization works and the way that your people are treated and how you can create a culture where they feel more a part of the organization and feel valued. So thank you so much, Shalini, for being on. I know I'm going to have you on again because we, we were trying to narrow it down to one topic. I think we came up to like with like four or five <laughs> different ones, um, but I'm definitely going to have you back again. And um, for those of you who want to know how to get in touch with me, how to get in touch with Shalini, if you go to my website at carsgroup.com, that's K-A-R-S group.com, um, click on the podcast link. There will be a page specifically with this episode. Um, it'll have all of her contact information, her links, her email, as well as information about her and her company and ways in which you can um, connect with her and the embedded episode so that you can listen to it once again and take notes like you always should. But thank you guys. Thank you, Shalini, for joining me. I truly enjoyed having you. Um, thank everyone else for listening. I am Keisha Rivers, President and Chief Outcome Facilitator of the CARS Group, where we facilitate outcome by equipping people to embrace and manage change. You have been listening to Mindset to Mastery, our podcast, where we give you tools, strategies, and actionable items to help you to change your mindset and master your success. Find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, all of the different places where podcasts are found, as well as on our website at carsgroup.com. Until next time, make it a great one. Stay safe, stay sane, and stay sanitized. Bye-bye.